bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Hello, everybody! Welcome to Star Talk Live! We have an awesome show for you. It is my incredible pleasure to bring out your host, the amazing science communicator and natural wonder, Neil deGrasse Tyson! Eugene, yes, always great to have you here. Thanks for, for making us a part of your comedic universe. Thank you. So I get to invite the, yes, Eugene yes. Merman. Star Talk Live first appeared as part of Eugene Merman's comedy festival. Yeah. He organizes groups of comedians and they, they make you laugh. And he said, let's add a little science to one of the spots. And ever since then, Star Talk Live was born. Yeah. And now we, and we, it started out at a small bar in Brooklyn and now we're like, we're in the Beacon Theater. <laughs> so tonight, we're going to talk about the exploration of the universe and the search for life in that exploration and what impact they might, that might have on us philosophically, culturally, religiously, on our artwork, and all that we are and define ourselves to be as humans. And let's bring out... Oh, yes, you like that. So let's bring out uh, one of my scientific guests, a colleague and a friend, in fact, a hometown native. Give a very warm welcome to Dr. Carolyn Porco. Carolyn! <laughs> Carolyn. <laughs> Carolyn Porco is a hometown native. She's a planetary scientist. She was head of the imaging science team of the Cassini mission to Saturn. If you saw any image of Saturn in the last 15 years, she did it. And her <laughs> she and her team. I call her Madam Saturn. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. Um, it is my great pleasure to bring out a comedian, wonderful comedian from Wet Hot American Summer and many, many other things. Ladies and gentlemen, he has a new show called Debate Wars out on CISO. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Ian Black. 
<laughs> oh, you know what? I'm going to go around. I'm going to go around. <laughs> Dude. And from Saturday Night Live and Trainwreck, ladies and gentlemen, Vanessa Bayer! And rounding this out, we can't do this. If we're going to talk about art, we need an artist. If we're going to talk about the impact of science on our lives, we need somebody who sits at that intersection. Give a very warm welcome to musician and artist, Sean Ono Lennon. Sean. Over there, right? Dude. Hey, man. Thanks Excellent. for having me. All right. So let's just get some basic science on the table. Carolyn, we went to Saturn. We did indeed. Did it in an awesome way. Awesome. Uh, we, went into, we entered orbit back in 2004. Four. And it's been going gangbusters since then. Yes, it has. Why go to Saturn? Oh, wow. Where do I begin? Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'll be a little more specific. <laughs> what were you after? What did we not know about Saturn that you found out? Well, let me back up and start <clears throat> at the beginning with the Voyager mission. Okay? The Voyager mission, we toured the outer solar system in the 1980s. And we had two spacecraft encounter Saturn in 1980 and 1981. And that was really the first time we ever got a glimpse of what the Saturnian system offered. So we got to see the surfaces of the satellites. We got to see the rings in some detail. And as these things often happen, uh, you know, it was um, just a wonderful uh, exploration and journey of discovery and all those accolades you've heard. But they really leave us with other questions that we'd like to answer. And so, um, as soon as the Voyager mission was over, everybody was deep into planning the next mission to return to Saturn because that was considered the um, system, the planetary system, it is the planetary system that is the most phenomenologically rich. So it has Titan. That means it's the most beautiful. It's also yeah. the most beautiful. <laughs> it's also the most beautiful. And I was in the privileged position of being responsible for the images that we returned. Uh -huh. So I just very much wanted to make them beautiful. Yeah, let's give, give it up. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so you couldn't just send Cassini there. You needed some gravitational help, last I remembered. And we got so it. So you launch it from Earth, and you don't have enough energy, enough propulsion to get it there. So you steal orbital energy from what? Well, this is a maneuver that was found uh, before going to Voyager, but if you fly a spacecraft by a, a planet, let's say, that is already moving, then uh, depending on how you fly the spacecraft by the planet, you can actually take a little bit of momentum from that body, but because the planet's so big and the spacecraft is so small, you really give a big kick to the spacecraft. So in order to get to Saturn, we actually flew around the inner solar system for two years, kind of parked it there, building up speed. We flew by Venus twice, the Earth once. And it never went back in time? So you did a double slingshot around Venus. Not around, we just flew by it. Flew by it. Slingshot Venus, and you also slingshot Earth. Yes, we did. Okay. Now, and did we just get... You just got lucky that you ended up on Saturn, or you had figured all this out? <laughs> Look, I'll tell you, if they had left me in charge of the navigation, we would have ended up at Uranus. So they do have a group of people 
<laughs> they have a they have a group. I, I well anyway, I'm terrible. <laughs> I have a terrible sense of direction. She just referenced your. Anus. I know what yeah, she yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but but so so this is like a three cushion pool shot. Uh, off of three planets. Any more planets on oh, the way out? Oh, no, no. Then we went by Jupiter. And we went by Jupiter, incidentally, on the eve of the year 2001, which I thought was, like, so incredibly bitchin'. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> bitchin'? Yeah. How many that says 1963? Was the thing you sent a Camaro? <laughs> <laughs> you were bitchin'. It's, all right. It's a surfer term. <laughs> so... All right, so you slingshot Jupiter, and now you got enough energy to get to Saturn, yeah. which is twice again as far away as Jupiter is. Yeah, so it yeah. took us another three years to do it. So it took us seven years in total to cross the solar system. All right, cool. And then it gets pulled into orbit, and you've got rings, you've got magnetic fields, you've got all manner of things going on there. You know what my favorite? I have two favorites. One, you found lightning on Saturn. Uh, we did, yes, we captured lightning on Saturn. And does, is it raining? Like, what's going on? Well, it's doing essentially what lightning does here. It's accompanied by thunder and rain and so on. These are big convective storms that produce so you lightning. have rain on Saturn? Yeah, we do. Is it water, water or uh, some other liquid? These, this is in the water clouds, yeah. The water cloud. But you have other clouds. Uh, if they rained, it wouldn't be rain water. It'd be like rain ammonia or something. Is that it right? It could be rain ammonia. I guess we're, that's too deep for us to know much about. We knew about the water clouds. Okay. That'd be weird. Ammonia rain. But think well, how clean methane, your countertops would be. <laughs> <laughs> clean. <laughs> Everything would be clean. <laughs> so have rain like that in Disinfected. New York. <laughs> disinfected. <laughs> All right, so I, we got that. And then what freaked me out to this day <clears throat> was this hexagon in Saturn's what, South Pole, was North, it? North, North Pole. Pole. A hexagon. The, no. No. <laughs> There are no hexagons in the universe. How did you, what is that? Okay, so this is, I'm glad you brought this up because every time we released something about the hexagon on our website, cyclops.org, our hits went through the roof. You know, because I think people think this has something to do with crystal energy and what a, what's a, you know. Yeah, hexa, uh, like um, <laughs> a, a, a hexagon is a common crystal cross-sectional shape. Yeah, but yeah. it's the straight sides in an atmosphere that really blew people away. So um, we've explained over and over and over again that this is just a uh, continuous um, w wave with just six waves in it. It's, you know, M number, you know that, wave number? So we have a wave number six uh, jet stream that encircles Saturn. It's nothing more than that. It's very similar to what we have here on the Earth. Except on the Earth, it's very discontinuous because the system, the jet stream, is traveling over the oceans and hill and dale and so on, and it, friction just wears it down. But on Saturn, there is no friction, so it just is continuous. So, so is it what, land? Yeah, so what were you is it say? I was just uh, so it's like in my mind, <laughs> it's uh, like the sh I'm like picturing the shape that you learn about, like when you learn about octagon. Hex yeah. Hexagon is six-sided. So, right, I knew that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, and then there's, and then there's, <laughs> there's water? It's jet streams going between? Well, it's a, it's jet, like an, it's a jet stream of, of air on Saturn, and at that level, um, I don't know, it's probably hydrogen, mostly hydrogen, but it's, um, it's, yeah, it's just a jet stream. It's just very regular because there's nothing to disturb it. That's and really it's it. at the bottom? No, it's in the top right. of the atmosphere. It's at the pole. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. So, so 
So, so Carolyn, I just want to comment that you're all calm and casual. Oh, it's just a hexagon, sustained waves. Don't tell me you didn't freak out when you first saw the hexagon. Well, we first saw the hexagon with Voyager, and I was very freakable when I was young. <laughs> But you know, by the time. <laughs> <laughs> Why yeah, we've heard that. Because <laughs> if you get your freak on, you know, it's like... So, uh, so it's just easy in retrospect to say how to explain what you're looking at, but uh, it seems to me that's a pretty impressive thing to discover on a planet. That's all. And you say, well, Earth has it too. It's just not a hexagon. But uh, then we don't have it. Well, okay. So that's why we went. You asked why did okay, we go? Okay. That's why we went. We want to discover all those things that are the same and are different about our planet because ultimately we want to learn about process. And process, the more we learn about process, about planets, the better custodians of our own planet we can be. So that's what planetary exploration is all about. So, aside yeah, from that's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. aside from having aside from having a really bitchin' time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, tell me about the, uh, any questions you thought you would have answered but didn't get answered. Oh, well, we still don't know exactly what the mass of Saturn's rings are, and it's important if you're interested in figuring out how old they are, where they came from, and that whole process. So, in fact, that's what the end of the Cassini mission is aiming to do um, eventually. To measure the mass of Saturn's rings, because they're really skinny. They're really skinny. They're only about 30 feet thick, uh, yet they extend for 280,000 kilometers, which is about one light second. It would take light, the fastest thing we know, one second to travel across the rings. They would fit in nicely between the Earth and the Moon. Uh, and we've discovered so many things in there. Just let me know when we can start. <laughs> I have a question. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Now, I'm going to explain this in layman's terms for the audience. <laughs> Saturn's really big. Really big. Why are the rings uh, so uh, thin in comparison? You really want to know the answer to this? No, I just asked because <laughs> yeah. I felt like I should say something. Well, oh, okay. And just to be clear, they are so thin, when Saturn is edge on, when they're edge on to us, they disappear entirely. Well, not really. <laughs> oh, snap. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right, let me try that again. They're so thin, they disappear. How thin are they? <laughs> they disappear mostly. Mostly. Fine. Mostly. But they, but um, you wanted to know, okay, it's a real simple physics 101 explanation. I didn't get that far. <laughs> they consist of lots and lots and lots of icy particles, chunks of ice that are like that tiny all the way to the size of small apartment buildings. And when they collide, which they did in the early days after they formed, and we think they formed by two satellites colliding with one another, something like that, this creates a cloud of debris, and these particles are in very wild and crazy orbits, and when they collide, they lose energy, but they conserve angular momentum. This is a process that even has produced the disks of galaxies that we know, the, galactic, the spiral galaxies, which are very thin also, compared to their horizontal dimensions. So does, does that mean that Earth will eventually have a ring of space junk and debris? <laughs> well, it, it would have to, it could. If we left enough junk up there so that they collided, 
um, that actually would happen, yeah. Sweet. And isn't Saturn just like a mini solar system? I mean, in terms of the way this, our solar system formed, I mean, can't you make that analogous, uh, the way the disks are? Yes. What's the moon count? If you want to analogize them to planets, what's the moon count for Saturn right now? I, I've lost track. It's, it's over 60. Yeah, it's over 60. Yeah, it's wow. a 60 lot of moons. moons. Right. Wait, you don't know how many moons? I'm sorry, I don't. Not yet. Do you know? <laughs> Allow me to defend this bit of ignorance. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and we went a, through a, a little girl, bit. A girl can't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you reach a point where the number of something is not as important as what the thing actually is. Good for you, or Neil. Is about. That was brilliant. And and wait, wait, brilliant. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Sounds wait, like wait, a cop out to, to me. Clap <laughs> wait, so so he, when people were taught that there were nine planets in the solar system, <clears throat> and then Pluto got kicked out, people cried foul because they thought science was about the number. And they got jacked to do with the number. <laughs> right. Wait, but didn't they just find a ninth planet anyway? And, and is that why science has since stopped measuring things now? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, hasn't Pluto been replaced? No, we've only stopped counting. We've just stopped counting. But hasn't Pluto been replaced by some, they detected a wobble that might mean there's another planet out there that we didn't know about? Way out. Way Very out. far. In the Kuiper Belt. The Kuiper I just Belt. find that so hard to understand that we could have had a planet in our own solar system that we haven't seen yet. Like it's how way it? out. It's way out. But we see exoplanets. I mean, we see, you know, we can it's detect dark exoplanets. Out there. <laughs> right. It's really dark. I bet. <laughs> When we come back, segment two of Star Talk Live, the Beacon Theater! Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up 
He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project UP, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. All right, so, so among the 60 moons, 60 plus moons, uh, there are a couple of moons that rise up in their uh, yes. significance to those in search for uh, life or interesting things going on on moons. So what, what can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, so these are the two best moons there are, okay. Uh, the first one is <laughs> Titan. It's about 50% larger than our own moon. It has an, a thick atmosphere of molecular nitrogen. Uh, it has a thermal structure that's like our own Earth here. Uh, and so it's, in some sense, it's a mini Earth, except that it does not have uh, oxygen in it, free oxygen in its atmosphere. Um, and it has organic materials in its atmosphere. And those organic materials, we suspected, would be found on the surface in liquid form, and we didn't find them at first, and we didn't find them after a year or two, and then finally, we found that they went to the poles. The liquids on Titan are liquid hydrocarbons that are ponded at the poles. And, That's uh, a word, ponded? Ponded. That's cool. I like Someone that Someone get, where's their phone? No, it's good. Oh. I like it. It doesn't have, we made it a word here and now if it wasn't previously okay. a word. Okay. I think, it, I think it was a word. So, <laughs> so, so liquid, like methane. And methane and ethane, yeah. So these, like methane is the gas that comes out of your stove, typically, if you live in a city. So that's flammable. Can I, That's very yeah. flammable. Can I ask a question about moons, just for the audience? I do know the answer yeah. to this, but um, <laughs> the difference between like a moon and a planet is that the moon orbits around. Yes, and they're generally smaller. Generally. Smaller. Okay. Are there okay. some moons that are bigger than the planets? Uh, no, I don't really think so. All right, I didn't either. <laughs> it was only when you said generally that I got confused. I was just covering my butt. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no. So Eugene, if the yeah. moon were bigger than the planet. It would planet, be the, other planet. Way. the planet would be the moon, and the moon would be the planet. Yeah, no, but, yeah. yeah. But That's are... what I figured until she said generally. But and then I was like, <laughs> yeah. I need, I need, I, I have but a question now. <laughs> they're made of like the same kind of cool stuff, right? The cool yeah. stuff, but not the moons. same stuff. Right. Oh, well, they're all different, but are, do moons have elements in common that, you know? Okay. <laughs> do moons have. <laughs> do moons all share certain elements that... They're uh, all made of cheese. And by elements, I mean like... Uh, Stuff. All right, let me help make, you out yeah. here. Okay. Help them out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice passing of the book. Um, so in the Saturn system, for example, the moons are largely made of water ice because it's so cold out there that water becomes, uh, you know, it's like a rock. You get to Uranus and then you get to uh, Neptune, which are much farther out. You have moons that actually have methane on their surface, solid okay. methane. So it just Solid methane? Yeah. What's so you cool that? the gas down, you liquefy it, cool it some more, then you get a solid, and that's laying around the moons of Uranus and Neptune. Yeah, as also liquid nitrogen. I mean, you know, most of our atmosphere, I mean, a solid nitrogen, most of our atmosphere is, is molecular gaseous nitrogen, mm -hmm. but by the time you get to Neptune, Neptune, we've got nitrogen on the surface, on, on Pluto. You heard a lot about nitrogen flowing on the surface of Pluto. Yeah. Yeah, you used to hear about it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but to Vanessa's point... Hey, let's leave time to get to my favorite moon. I, uh, the best moon. Who, who, I, 
<laughs> Vanessa. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yes. The fact that the moon is comprised of ingredients that are essentially identical to Earth's crust is one of the factors that led us to suggest that the moon was formed by a side swipe of a planetesimal in the early solar system, scattering countless tons of Earth's crust into a ring of debris around Earth that would later coalesce and form what today we call the moon. Hallelujah. But didn't they just study the, the moon rocks that they've got in 1969 and they just realized that the collision that created the moon was not a graze, it was actually something a lot more impactful. I just This read guy that. reads up on everything, so if you're yeah, not... Yeah, you gotta watch out for him, yeah, watch. yeah. <laughs> we, got, we gotta watch out. So the question is, how deep did it actually graze? Exactly. And it could not have gone too deep, because if you get too deep in Earth, on Earth, when Earth was molten in its early days, the heavy stuff fell to the middle, the lighter stuff floated to the top. So nearly all of Earth's iron and platinum and iridium and gold is in our core. And if you, side, if you sideswiped enough to reach the core, you would scatter the heavy elements into what would become the moon, and the moon would have an appreciable amount of heavy elements, and, and it, doesn't. it doesn't. It just doesn't. For something that size, it should have a whole iron core, and it's it got no. Got nothing, no. So I shouldn't go to the moon to get any platinum. <laughs> Co uh, correct. Uh, correct. Well, now I need a new thing to do in February. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I just want to be clear. What yeah. you asked a completely sensible question, and that question, when applied to the Earth-Moon system, led to an entire new understanding of the formation of the moon. Just, just. Oh. Well, I guess so which planet is a candidate to have <laughs> sideswiped us? What's that? Which planet is a candidate to We think it may have been us? completely destroyed. Oh, just it's gone. Is yeah. that what the asteroid belt is now or something? Asteroid no. belt, yeah, it's got a lot of debris, but if you add it all up, it doesn't come to much. Okay. It comes to about like 5% of the mass of the moon. Right. Yeah. It's very, it's very, kind of it like wouldn't us. have had to be a planet-sized thing, and it's likely that this, the projectile broke up and is now part of the moon. Can I yeah. offer an alter alternate hypothesis? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Space ray. Space ray. Laser gun. Gamma ray. Gamma ray. Yeah. Laser gun. It could have been. What too. level thetan are you? I can't remember. <laughs> what level? <laughs> can't divulge it. <laughs> All right, so we had Titan. But if we're going to look for life, which inspires so much of our... Uh, invested emotion and energy in space exploration, uh, Titan doesn't sound like the place we would find life as we know it. Yeah, it would be very difficult very to find life right. as we know it. Like so, it wouldn't look like a goat, or it would be like super not a goat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a goat, right. <laughs> so, like are you asking him about his Cretanism? Is that what you were asking? <laughs> Earlier, so, but we so, moved on. <laughs> uh, so, what else is tantalizing okay, with regard so, to life. So to me, the most provocative and most thrilling result we found is that this little moon called Enceladus, which is no bigger across than England, I mean, it's very small, um, has geysers shoot, shooting out that extend hundreds of miles above the surface. In fact, they, if you follow some of them, they go tens of thousands of kilometers away from Enceladus and they form the E-ring. But these geysers, we now know after being there... Well, just a sec, the Saturn's rings have been lettered. Yes. One of which is called the E-ring. One of which is called the E-ring. Okay, e gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. I and think the Pentagon has an E-ring, too, I think, doesn't it? Oh, does yeah. it? I don't know, a D-ring? Uh, I've got a phone that has a ring. How many rings does Saturn have? <laughs> <laughs> don't ask those questions. Let me finish one thought at a time. I can <laughs> All right. 
I can right. only handle one thought at so a time. So tell me about Enceladus. Go. We don't, so you I, know we don't count things anymore, right, Eugene? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't let Thank them you. Either. One at one last counting. <laughs> so E-ring. So, I mean, um, Enceladus. Enceladus. Go. So these geysers, we know, uh, come through four major fractures at the South Pole, which is a really unique, interesting terrain. Well, these are fractures in the ice. In the ice. Yes. In mm -hmm. the ice shell, sorry. There's an ice shell that uh, exists, lies on top of a global ocean of salty liquid water that is suffused with organic materials. And we know that because after being there a while, we, we figured all this out, and then later on in the mission, we actually send the spacecraft through the plume to pick up material and analyze its composition. So, like, we got this down pat now. Can you have really that much remote control over what next orbit your spacecraft took. You know, you know how you operate drones? Yeah. No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so when you say organic the, the material, what do you mean? Like, what constitutes kale? organic well, material? Kale. Kale? Good. <laughs> Did you say cake? No, kale. 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 <laughs> Did we find space kale? <laughs> <laughs> well, most. close to it. Close enough. But a simple stuff like, you know, things, compounds that contain carbon and hydrogen and oxygen, and nitrogen, and things Tofu. like that. Those are the basic, bi what? I'm kidding, sorry. <laughs> the basic bio elements that you and I are made out of. Yeah. You know, plus a lot more, but especially you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a, he's laughing. But, okay, so Carolyn, I, I'm less impressed oh. that there are organic materials there, because these, you just listed some of the most common kinds of atoms in the universe. The question is, is Enceladus in a kind of state where we can think of it containing life as we know it? Yes, because it has an ocean and we... What, what, why is it... Have, it's outside the Goldilocks zone. How, it why has is it a have, subsurface ocean. Okay, I see where you're going with this. Uh -huh. It has a subsurface ocean and we found through whatever it's been now, nearly 60 years of exploring planets, uh, both from ground-based observations using telescopes and our spacecraft, that there are several moons in our solar system that have uh, subsurface oceans. And so they're... Liquid they're oceans. Liquid water... Something had to be melting them. Isn't and it's not the sun. Isn't no, it's every not ocean a subsurface? Not, not the Pacific. But isn't it sub... No, sub means it's under the ground. Think of it that way. Except the ground on Enceladus is ice. Wait, wait, oh, wait, 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 I got it, wait. The, to wait. the top of it the starts surface. under... It's on the, the surface okay. of the body. Because I was like, well, what wow, do you I'm think doing a really bad job It's here. like... <laughs> it's like when you have a chocolate cake, the frosting is on top, the cake is sub-cake. <laughs> it is. And then, and then, sometimes there's a layer of frosting yes. that is sub-cake. Do we have that? Do we have frosting on <laughs> Wait, and just to be clear, I see, Vanessa... I see. But, but, Vanessa, uh, until recently, the North... the North Pole Ocean is an ocean under a layer of ice. So your question was not out of nowhere. I mean, you can have oceans on Earth under layers of ice. Yeah. yeah. You used oh. to be able to. Used to be able to, yeah. <laughs> used yeah. To Thank be you able very to. much. Yeah. Can, can yeah. I ask a dumb question? You yes. referred to the South Pole. How, how do we gauge North and South on a, on a moon in space? The way it's spinning. That we know, we know how. <laughs> what? I got you. I got, ready? Ready? Uh -huh. Hold out your right hand. Okay? Like this. Curl your fingers. Yeah. If your fingers curl in the direction of the rotating object, your thumb points to the North Pole. 
Oh. Wait, but Venus ro rotates the other way, so what would the north be reversed on Venus? Right, so if anything that seems to rotate this way, you take a hand, do that, and then the north pole would be down. Okay, so Venus's north pole is south of everyone else's uh, pole, <coughs> north pole in the solar system? Because <laughs> doesn't it it's rotate? It's called the right-hand rule to establish what is north. Sure. Yeah. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so go on. So, so, okay, let me finish this. Well, it's a great question. Great, good, great question. Thanks. Let me finish Thanks. this story. So That's why we can all agree what is north, no matter what <laughs> object we're looking at. Well, that guy doesn't agree over there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So where were you? Go. So liquid water, organic compounds that we know come from the ocean, uh, and it's being heated by tidal flexure. Okay, so it's in a resonance, which makes its orbit eccentric. Sometimes it's far away from Saturn, sometimes it's close. And that means that the tidal forcing varies, and that's how you get tidal energy injected into one of these bodies. There's enough of it to keep the ocean stable. Uh, and so this is what NASA has been saying for decades now, would be the formal requirements that we would want to know existed on a body so that we'd mount the next kind of wave of exploration and go there in, uh, particularly to look for life. And so that's where we are with Enceladus. So the, the Goldilocks zone that is so celebrated can exist in other ways outside of the traditional Goldilocks zone. There really is no Goldilocks zone as it pertains to distance from the sun. But there is a Goldilocks zone in the sense that, well, there is not. No, it just, because all you need is something that... Uh, a source of heat. A, well, Whether or not it's the sun. Uh, yeah, but yeah. you ultimately need something like tidal energy. Uh, because How warm so uh, are the oceans? What? How warm are those oceans? Well, we don't really know, but they have to be at least, you know, the, the temperature of liquid water, like zero degrees Celsius or 32 degrees And Fahrenheit. they got to they pack some punch if you're blowing geysers 100, 100 kilometers in the sky. That's not hard to understand because the weight of the overlying ice shell forces the water up the cracks. And then there's also volatile materials like we've seen in ammonia. In Japan, they have special toilets that do that also. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> Do, do we want to go there? <laughs> They're dangerous, those I, things, right? Are you serious? Are you serious? I have a question about, okay, so if you're looking for life on, on that moon, has anyone ever thought, maybe this is very irresponsible, but has anyone ever thought, like, well, what if we just threw a bunch of bugs in there? Why that, would you want to do that? Well, just to see if they could, like, live and... But the, then you, this you is, create this like this is not an aquarium. I mean, we're not. But I know. But wouldn't it be so cool? And then come back five years later, and they've all grown up. And <laughs> like Neil, help me that, out. Yeah. That that <laughs> Could we put? This is just an idea. We put enough trout that when we get there again, we can fish. <laughs> is that really so bad? Okay. So, so NASA has an entire office called Planetary Protection. Yeah, they do. And their goal is to preserve planets, this would include moons, that may have life from contamination of life from Earth, and to preserve life on Earth from any bugs that might accidentally be brought back from our planetary it, mission. It's called forward and backwards contamination. Forward and backwards contamination. I know that those planets have that with us, so why are we like taking such good care they don't have an, a, an agreement, a, yeah, a like treaty. Yeah, like they never said to us, like, right. we'll do this for, you know what I mean? It feels sort of one-sided. <laughs> so until we know that a planet is completely sterile, still, we want to be
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. So, Carolyn, you were also part of the Voyager team, which had messages for aliens that might find this spacecraft. How which old has are you? <laughs> it has escaped our solar system, and... So this movement to try to contact extraterrestrial life, be it microbial or what we might call intelligent, it's been going on for a while. But some people might ask, since that Voyager, the Voyager record contained data that would allow aliens to triangulate back to find out what planet in the galaxy this was launched from. Yes. This is basically our return address. Right. Do you give strangers your email address? Yes. Other humans that have DNA in common with you? Uh, if actually, in space. actually, if I in do. Space, apparently. Actually, I do. You do? I do. It's on my website, cyclops.org. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Vanessa, do you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I'm, just, I'm curious about the, the um, it's not the ethics of it, but the, the, the sensibility of alerting aliens. And we all know what aliens will do when they find humans. We've seen this. Many times played out in the movies. <laughs> so, so this is... Didn't you tell this to Carl Sagan at the time that he put the... the and he and Andrean put the record on the spaceship? Um, no, I did not. Okay. No, I did not. Was, it, everyone was very hopeful everyone that aliens th- will be peaceful Everyone creatures. thought it was... Well, you know, it's on a spacecraft that, you know, is fast to us, but it's gone pretty slow. It's not going to get too far, you know. I mean, it's, you know... But we, we have been, there are, there are people, myself included, who wanted to send messages into the galaxy um, encoded on transmissions coming from the most powerful radio dishes we have here on the Earth. The Arecibo Telescope is one. Frank Drake, a famous astronomer, radio astronomer, started this in 1974. He relayed a message to M31 is a globular cluster in our galaxy. Actually, it was a demonstration of the power of the transmitter on that telescope, which they had just brought online, and he and his creativity and his just exuberance and wondering about life elsewhere 
constructed this message that was encoded on the signals, and they sent it into space. Very celebrated thing. And I wanted to do it again, except do it better. And there's even a website where I describe this. But suddenly, there is a foot. This movement of people who think that this is a terribly dangerous thing to do. It includes do. Stephen Hawking. Yeah. It does. It includes, uh, who else, uh, Elon Musk. Yes, and they think that we are endangering the planet to let aliens know where we are. We endanger ourselves when one civilization encounters another <clears throat> in the history of life on Earth. Right, so the extrapolation is, you know, so a much more powerful, advanced civilization encounters us. It's going to be like humans encountering flies, and they'll just want to, like, squish us and, and you know... <laughs> <laughs> Can I say what We're already doing it. That's my argument. That's the counter-argument. What is the counter-argument? I have and, yet to hear a counter-argument. And, and the counter-argument is not due to me. The people have been saying this for a long time now. But the idea is that any civilization that is advanced enough to come knocking on our doorstep has already filtered out... I mean, if it got that far, it has to be benign, because if it wasn't benign, it would have destroyed itself. So... Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like even if this uh, advanced civilization is so much more advanced that we're like ants relative to these aliens, then whatever they want, even if it is enslaving me, I kind of feel like that would be the right thing to do anyway. <laughs> you know, because wow. I, mean, I mean, if they're so smart, if they wow. think that, you know, I should be basically, you know, the coffee boy or something, this then This is a guy who has I'll no trouble that. with authority figures. <laughs> well, wow. no, because they, so, they know so everything, so they must know what's right for us then. And it might be squashing us you're, like bugs. Can, can I just clarify? You're making a pro-slavery argument? Yes, he is! <laughs> <laughs> wow. As long as it's an advanced enough civilization that. <laughs> that I believe you think needs coffee? Is that the... I mean, I've that heard that... you would that get them coffee. They would come here. How do you think they stay awake on those long interstellar flights? It's definitely Starbucks. Yeah. Wait, wait. So you were saying <clears throat> that a sufficiently intelligent civil, uh, 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 alien species that made it here must... Number one, be benign. Otherwise, with that technology and power, if they were evil, they'd be evil to each other and, and they destroy one another, as we were on the brink of a few decades ago, possibly even now. decades to come. And so, fine. And now you're going to say they're so smart, they have our best interest in mind. Well, they'll, have the, they'll know what's right better than we'll know what's right. That's yeah, my, I think that's so, too. Saying. I think that they'll be so evolved, literally evolved, and they will, have, they will appreciate life because they will have studied... They probably know already what's going on in Enceladus. What I was going to ask is, what, are, what have we said to them? And doesn't it also matter, like, what we say? Like, if we're like, oh, everyone's nice here. You guys should stop by. Or if we're like, <laughs> or if we're like... No, it's we're, usually our coordinates, like where we are. You know, we're built on DNA. I mean, This is what we look is, like. Is it ever like a paella recipe or anything? <laughs> that, like, they could try this thing and be like, this is fun. I wonder if they have more of that. <laughs> and they come and they all want paella. <laughs> wait, wait. Plus, if they, if they show up and there's some appendage sticking out, maybe that's not what you should shake. Because <laughs> you don't know alien anatomy, right. for example. I'd love to pull on an alien penis. <laughs> As a sign of friendship. <laughs> How did we give them our coordinates and stuff? Just... Do we just think that they know our... Well, we, you know, you have to make certain assumptions. It's actually a very, in all seriousness, this is a very interesting, fascinating intellectual exercise to go through to figure out how you would communicate 
with yeah. an, an alien, uh, alien organism, you have to assume... They're not going to speak English. <clears throat> they're not going to speak but English. But they would know some French. <laughs> <laughs> They'll know... <laughs> I, I would freak out if an alien landed in my backyard and it said, parlez-vous I would just... I, I, <laughs> okay, that I'd won't happen. i in the corner. It won't happen. Telepathic, well, but only Some in people French. think Gerard Depardieu was an angel from another world, so... <laughs> <laughs> so you'd have to assume that they know the geography of the galaxy and that they know about electromagnetic radiation and all its properties, and they know physics, and, and maybe they have math, too, or something like it, uh, because they got here. I mean, they had to get here from, you know... Yeah. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of oh, light years. Light years away. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they didn't just fold space on a lucky guess. All right, so, so Carolyn, you are hopeful, and I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. You're more hopeful than I am, because there's... Uh, look at how, how tribal we are human to human, and somehow you're thinking we wouldn't be human tribal against aliens or vice versa. Uh, but there's no guarantee that we're going to make it. We may be one of these failed civilizations if we don't get our act together. We, we, we haven't... Right? <clears throat> we, haven't passed, we haven't passed the test yet. So we may, we may just go by way of all those civilizations that just destroyed themselves, and we're not going to get to participate in the nirvana that awaits all the peaceful... Well, hopefully that'll be a future generation. <laughs> <laughs> what gets me is... Uh, I, we, there are all these outer space treaties that the UN comes up with, and peaceful use of outer space. And, and friendship in outer space. And I'm thinking, I, I have very little confidence in that because why would you think that on Earth we like killing each other, but in space, oh, that's a place to be friends. You don't think ISIS would be super nice on the moon? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I am not convinced. I, I'm not convinced that we will treat each other better in space than we do on Earth until we know how to treat each other better on Earth. Okay. All right, it's time to wrap up all this talk about death and AI. We're going to take your questions on everything cosmic about the future of the human race on Earth or in space on Star Talk. All right, let's go straight on in. If you come from someplace other than New York, I would welcome to know your point of origin. Sir, go ahead. What's sure. your question? I, I, I come from 10 blocks away. So it's... 10 blocks away. Okay. What country is that? Is that right? Exactly. So, uh, so my question is, uh, Elon Musk has been doing a lot of stuff in SpaceX on launching stuff into space, but it seems like his underlying motive is really to colonize Mars to some extent. And, you know, just wanted to get kind of, I guess, everybody's opinion about. You'd only get one because otherwise we'd be here all night. Okay. But go ahead. Very good. Well, that, that was what it I was. assume you want mine. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it. So specifically, you want a, a, a comment on on Elon Musk's plan to colonize Mars with SpaceX. Sean, what do you feel about colonizing Mars? My understanding was that Elon wanted to get to Mars himself. I don't think he cares that much about the rest of us coming along. <laughs> But you know why? Because I think he said, 
he'd rather die on Mars than live on Earth. That's what he said. I, and I, you know, I repeat, I think it's, it's obviously something that we should do is to send people to Mars because we want to study it. But I don't think we should consider that uh, any savior for the human race because, again, look at Arizona. I mean, look at the Sahara. It's like mm. if we can't grow trees in the Sahara, then we're not going to be able to do much on Mars. There you go. Thank you. Next question. Ed, where are you from? Hi, my name is Carla. I'm from an unfascinating place also called New York. Okay, right. And my question is more on the social side. You guys mentioned about Carl Sagan making a marketing move as far as taking images in outer space and all that. What do you think is going to take for the 21st century, the quote-unquote millennial kind of generation, to get interested in space and actually propel the next generation towards space exploration? Alien yeah, so invasion. Is there Alien invasion. on that generation now, do you think? Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't... Oh, yeah, so uh, there's a next generation coming up. Yes. The millennials and those who follow them. Uh, we had our sort of pale blue dot and our moon launch and our forces of science and technology to inspire us. Do you see anything on the horizon? Is that an okay paraphrase <clears throat> of your question? Yes. yes, good, thank you. Uh, is there anything on the horizon that you see? Memes. Well, Memes, I... that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Internet think... cats, yes. <laughs> This is what you guys have created for yourself. <laughs> Carolyn, any reflections there? I think the biggest thing that's going on in the planetary science community now and also at NASA is this idea that we're going to go and find life in the solar system. And so it's going to take work to do that because it's actually a pretty hard question and we've got to figure out what the best way is to do it. But it's not going to happen. I'm going to be gone, but probably before that great big discovery happens. And they're going to, we're going to need young people People who are young now to kind of, you know, carry the torch. So, People you know, and today is, who were as young as you were when you joined Voyager. Right. So it's, it's going to happen at some point. I mean, there's really good reason to think we actually might find life in our solar system. We just got to, we All just right. got to, you know, mount the, uh, you know, get going on it. All right. Thank you. My name is Zach from the smellier side of the river in New Jersey. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Across the moat, yes. Exactly. Kind of bouncing off of what you said about life within our solar system, I think everyone here is in agreement that there's life in the universe, and that's kind of where I'm going at in the universe as a whole. Coming from a, you know, non-religious man, I am Jewish, but, you know, talking about... <laughs> <laughs> but hold on, stay with me. It's okay. But, you know, religion Boy, is a whole... <laughs> No, wait, I can't hear him. It's a good one, Eugene. But the universe in general, I was wondering what you guys think, you know, because I know when you put your head on the pillow at night, you think of what is the universe and what is the functionality of it? Is there a greater cause? Is it meant for a purpose? Is it built for something? I just In you three know, minutes. I'd answer. love to know what you guys think simply, as fast as you could, you know, what you think the universe is. Okay, Vanessa, function. this is for you. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the universe to you, I guess, is the I I do think that there has to be life on so many different parts of the universe and so that everyone's coexisting, but I don't see why we can't just Go to another planet, <laughs> throw a couple things out, see what comes back. But I do think it's to like have every, all these different species coexist. Do you, uh, Neil, think that, you know, that we might be more likely in a matrix than in a real universe? Do you ascribe to that philosophy? I, I remain convinced that if we figure out a way to make a perfect computer simulation of a world or of a universe, 
And in that simulation, there is what we would call life, and that life has free will as programmed in, that they could then decide that they want to make a simulation of a universe themselves. <laughs> and if each one of these simulations reaches a point where it makes a simulation of the universe, then most universes that will exist will be simulations. And if that is the case, then the likelihood that we now are in a simulation compared with being the first actual universe that created the life that made the simulations is very high. So I... I Why are be, there I, no dragons then? <laughs> I, I would be deeply intrigued I'm intrigued by that possibility, that we are the playthings of a higher intelligence, and every now and then they get bored, so they throw in, uh, you know, they stir the pot a little. Whoa. And they say, okay, Donald Trump, say this today, instead of something else. <laughs> and everything is a frenzy, and then everybody, and then they're watching this, and they're entertained by it all. Theater, thank you for your time. Thank you for my panel. Vanessa, Carolyn, Sean. Michael. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.